Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. We're going to have a wonderful uh, day planned. I've gone ahead and made it an exceptional day for you. We're going to have guide talk coming up in 60 seconds, and then we're going to have the amazing and beautiful Queens of the Roundtable. So we're going to have lively discussion all day, and that includes you. So let us know what topic you'd like us to cover, what issue you would like us to kick around. Uh, We've got a power panel of uh, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson, and myself. We've given uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner the day off. I believe he's in Scotland traveling home with his family, so we will give him one day of grace, and he better be here next week. That's all I got to say. So anyway, let us know if you have a topic, 877-933-2484, 877-93-FAITH, or 877-933-2484. 84, whatever it takes for you to remember that number. Send us a text. Let us know what you want us to talk about. We'll be underway in 60 seconds. Grow in your faith every day through Faith Radio. We offer unique, original content through daily live and nationally recognized programs. You can find local airtimes for all your favorite shows by visiting MyFaithRadio.com and clicking on the Schedule tab. And if you ever miss a show, you can always listen to the podcast anytime. Check out your local schedule page under the Schedule tab at MyFaithRadio.com. I'm not losing weight, but I ate a salad. What gives? You ate one salad. Sometimes, to see the biggest rewards, it takes positive decisions over time. Thank you for supporting Faith Radio. In 2020, would you prayerfully consider becoming a regular monthly partner? Your gifts not only impact more and more people over time, they give you more of the joy that generosity brings. To find out how you can be a partner, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. Welcome to Guide Talk, Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson. And myself, will take on any questions, but until we hear from you, I'd like to get things started with uh, something that came up in my Bible study this morning. Let's see if I can find my notes right now. Uh, and we were talking about um, discipline and God's discipline. What does that look like in your life when you feel disciplined by God? You know, Revelations 3.19 says, I rebuke and punish all whom I love. Be in earnest then and turn from your sin. So do we do a lot of self-sabotaging because of our own sinfulness and then God has to step up and do the disciplining? Do you view discipline as something that you uh, welcome or you, you, you get mad about? What do you do? How do you treat discipline? What does it look like in your life? Something I pray now and then is, Lord, help me discipline myself so you don't have to. Oh, I love that. And mm-hmm. so, for instance, I have covenant eyes on my laptop Mm -hmm. on my iPhone. I have an accountability partner so that I will discipline myself so the Lord doesn't have to. Good. And yeah, and it's good that he, when he disciplines us, but I'd rather avoid it by disciplining myself. (laughs) 
I think it's interesting as you look deep within your own soul. When you finally get as old as I am and you get honest, you realize there are more flaws, more sinfulness, more alienation than you ever thought possible, attitudes and beliefs. And what I've discovered is the Lord is patient with his discipline because he didn't hit me with it all at once when I first came to him as Lord and Savior, Mm -hmm. but that it's an unfolding process. And the older I get, the more things, the surface looks good. You know, I, I don't smink, smoke, I don't drink, and you know, that kind of thing. But it's the deep stuff inside, the attitudes and that. But I keep telling Jesus, my goal is to be like you. Mm-hmm. And you know mm-hmm. what? He takes me serious. And so he brings things into my life or allows me to get into things that really beat me up at times. And I beat my own self up with my own mistakes. But that is the place I grow. I don't learn through the good times. I learn through the trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the scripture that comes to my mind is the First Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. And I, the, what I visualize is a pathway. So teaching, here's the path that I want to be on. For for uh, reproof, you're off the path. For correction, here's how to get back on the path. And uh, uh, and then for training in righteousness, here's how to stay on the path. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why when it, so what comes to my mind as well as uh, is just the spiritual disciplines. Um, you know, and I know Richard Foster wrote that seminal was work, the celebration of discipline. And mm-hmm. I know it sounds like an oxymoron. How do I celebrate discipline? But it's that idea that we, we reap we great fruit, a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who are trained by it, Hebrews 12 says. So I think it's, um, I think it's also got, it's a partnership between us and God. Sometimes God has to step and intervene, but I think also he gives us the grace to be able to participate in those spiritual disciplines for us to stay on the path that he has marked out for us. Mm -hmm. One of the things I find challenging, and I challenge young pastors because I mentor a number of them all the time, is that when you get done with the sermon on Sunday morning, so what? Because most of them give theological discussions, they give some theological insights, some biblical Bible study. What does that mean to the listener? And until we as leaders begin to challenge people, how are you going to apply this forgiveness that Jesus showed this woman caught in adultery. Who do you have in your life right now that you need to go sit down with and forgive? What do you need to do to get rid of that wrong attitude? And I, about 20 years ago, uh, I started doing that in sermons. To where the, when the sermon comes to an end, I usually have two or three points go up on the screen, and it's usually as a result of hearing Jesus' word today, what are you going to do about this attitude? And I usually tell them what I've done, what I've tried to do as an example, but then put it out before them. And I actually had an insert in the bulletin. People could check them off. I think the first Sunday with a couple hundred people, we might have had two or three. But by the time I left that church, we had over 100 every Sunday, people checking off different things and then holding one another accountable. Hmm. But part of the problem in the church is we give people a lot of ideas and truth. We've got to challenge them to do something with it. Mm-hmm. And that's how the discipline comes in. And that's how the change mm-hmm. comes in. And that's how to stay on the path, because I think often sometimes when we hear discipline, we, ought, we automatically equate it to punishment for doing something wrong, right. mm-hmm. when, it's, when it's more the guidance on how to live rightly, right. how to live righteously, and how to live holistically. All right, staying in Hebrews 12, Paul urges us to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Kind of easier said than done, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> what about people in your life, um, whether it be family or friends or neighbors or people that you used to work with, that maybe you need to find a place of peace with? Well, I, uh, just to be transparent, um, so I think, the, you know, to be at peace with somebody doesn't mean peace. The biblical aspect of peace, that shalom or that wholeness isn't the absence of conflict, but the, the full presence of, of, of wholeness. And so I think what that means is not avoiding conflict. And I grew up in a family that uh, tended to sweep things under the rug and mm-hmm. to 
Um, you know, Minnesota nice sometimes is really more Minnesota passive aggressive. So um, mm-hmm. right now, just working through some conversations with family members and knowing how to navigate those with patience, uh, with love, with grace, um, but then also not just pretending like everything's okay and being mm-hmm. willing to speak truth in love and uh, and to continue to stay the course because relationships matter. Mm-hmm. And the Apostle Paul said, quote, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with all men. Meaning right. there are going to be people that, because they're on the other page spiritually, you can love them and everything, but you're never going to be at peace with them, and mm-hmm. or are they with you. Mm-hmm. So, But you do everything you can mm-hmm. to help. Yeah, the initiative is on our part. We're called to take the initiative in relationships and understand that when we're at odds with somebody else, or if we have hurt somebody else, and I know I've done that or I've said stupid things, I finally came to realize that I had to go back to them and not only ask for forgiveness, but I had to say, I've sinned against you and against the Lord. Will you forgive me? And when I finally got the Lord in there, it started to make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I've challenged, uh, I was at a pastor's conference, and I challenged the pastors. I said, how many times in your tenure at your church or in a board meeting have you gone before your board or church and said, when I said or did this, I sinned against you and against the Lord, please forgive me? I said, raise your hands. Nobody raised their hand. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing as leaders is we're not modeling our own behavior. And you know, Tom... It's uh, a real quick story, if I can. Please. I took a bunch, when I was a young adult pastor, I took a bunch of young adults to Colorado. Two of them wanted to go hiking, and okay, well, I'll meet you down at the bottom of the mountain in an hour, and then two hours, and then was it three hours, they finally showed up. I was so mad. And they they, they came to me and said, oh, Tom, uh, we're sorry, you know. And, and, and I, okay, okay. And he says, no, Tom, we really are sorry. Will you forgive me? And I said, yeah, and the anger broke. It's, it's one thing to say, uh, I'm sorry, but to go the, a little bit further and to say, and will you forgive me, that really helps people forgive you, I think, because now it's all on me. <laughs> mm. So anyway, this is an important thing, not to yeah. just say I'm sorry, but will you forgive me? I think that's big. And, and I think our converse, the, that I, our perspective of discipline ties into this aspect of peace. Cause, and, I, and for me, you know, I've brought this up before, but... Uh, learning how to discipline a toddler in our home right now and what that looks like. Uh, I tell you what, I've been struck um, over and over again. I'm really glad the Lord doesn't discipline me like I'm trying to discipline my son because <laughs> I'm not good at it. Yeah. Um, but I think the, the reason why the Lord does discipline us is so that we can be at peace with him. And if we're living in peace with God, then we're going to be postured to be at peace with others because we're going to be walking in that humility, Tom, that you're talking about of saying, okay, if there's a mess here, I, I at least have a part of it. And if it's only 5%, I still need to be 100% responsible mm-hmm. for my 5% of the conflict and mm-hmm. take the initiative. Well, you guys are all above average interesting today, so this is great. <laughs> well, um, Peter's not here, so we, I know. we really, maybe he's listening or he listened afterwards. Yeah. So we're trying to you know fill in the gaps here. Exactly. Guy Talk's underway. Let us know what you want us to chat about. Bring up a subject or a passage of the scripture or whatever you'd like. 877-933-2484 is the text line, 877-93-FAITH. We'll be back in 90 seconds.
Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad that I've got a fine room of gentlemen here discussing various topics. Guy Talk is Pastor Tom Brock right now and Pastor Tom Parrish and Justin Jepson. Here's a question that came in from Judy. She said, uh, what do you have to say regarding Enneagrams? I think, Justin, I'm going to point your direction. <laughs> well, we were talking a little off air, and I'm actually really uh, new in my understanding of uh, this tool and this resource, but um, it does have a very interesting um, and kind of sometimes hotly debated history in terms of its origins and kind of hard to track down, but it's it's really taken a lot of different forms and grown in popularity, I think, especially among different Christian circles. So a lot of different staffs are using it. Um, it's it's talked about pretty, um, pretty extensively in our student life staff here at Northwestern, and that's actually my first exposure to it was three years ago when I started on staff. And, um, and, and really my journey, if I could use the kind of the any language, I, I, I was really um, kind of any annoyed because I feel like I couldn't. <laughs> and then I was uh, really any confused because I had no idea. And I was like, oh, that's your fourness coming out. And you're like, fourness? What's, what, what number? Do I have a number? What's it? You know, I was really confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I went to a conference a couple years ago, um, and there's a there's a um, uh, author by the name of Chris Hewerts, and he specifically uses the Enneagram and uh, kind of aligns that with spiritual disciplines in terms of how we connect with God and how we do com- Christian community with others. Um, that'd be a good place for maybe this listener to to begin. Um, and then I was Ennea curious. So now I'm like, okay, there, I think there's some validity here. And um, what what makes it distinct is that, you know, unlike you know, Myers-Briggs or the DISC or different things like that. It measures like, you know, uh, your your personality or measures your actions. and But this measures more your motivations. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the best way that I could describe it from a Christian perspective is it helps you understand the way God uniquely wired you to bear his image and why you do it that way and how you relate with other people. So, for instance, I, for me, I'm a likely a nine and a nine is, is a peacemaker. So it's kind of funny, you know, and that I wanted wanting to maintain harmony. Um, it's at the top, um, of it and it doesn't mean it's cause it's the best, but it's, it's, it's meaning like I, I want to try to encompass everyone's perspective, um, uh, and, and, and to bring harmony and unity and peace to all the different sides and different perspectives. Yeah, and appreciate so, that. Yeah. Tom, Tom and Tom, are you guys any aboard? I don't. I barely oh, know what see, this is. So. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I, I, any aboard you? And yeah. stay, stay well, away. I got though. it. But I'm pumped. But I thought pump, you meant yeah. on board. No. 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 Okay. Stay away from any evangelist. So oh. Sometimes people go a little too crazy with it. Okay. <laughs> well, I qualified on Meyer Briggs, and but I used a lot of those tools along the way. Okay. The thing I discovered is that where you're talking Enneagram, you're talking Meyer Briggs, or you're talking DISC, or you're talking whatever it may be. When you get deep enough into it, it's all the same thing. It's different ways of measuring it and different ways of talking about it because, like, using the Meyer-Briggs with couples, if I had a wife who was an, or a bride that was an introvert and a husband was an extrovert, trying to get behind the motivation, and I can give you an example. My wife is the introvert and I am the extrovert. So early in our marriage, I can remember her birthday come along, and guess what I would do as an extrovert? Be a party. Oh, yeah. Everybody over from the church, you know, big party and everything else. I could never figure out why she wasn't that happy about it. <laughs> okay, my birthday would come along, and now guess what I'm looking for? Party. A party. I'm looking for a party. Guess yeah. what I got? Nothing. Candlelight dinner. <laughs> Quiet night your wife. Here's, the, here's where you get behind it, though. This can work for you and against you. Where it can work for you is when you analyze yourself and say, oh, i got to look at my own motivation. The problem is we read other people's motivation that way, and I say, if she really loved me. 
she would have gone out of the way to have a birthday party for me like I had for her. And her attitude would be, if he really loved me, he would understand my needs and wouldn't put me around all these people when it's such an intimate time. Uh-huh. So it's, it's going both directions. And you find out who you are and then what is your motivation out of that. And I found in the early years of my marriage that most of my motivation was centered on me. I thought I was being a benevolent husband, but it was really, what am I going to get out of this? What are you going to do mm-hmm. for me? And trying to become like Jesus and really give to others, that's where the battle is all the time. So any of these tools properly used can be used very well. Mm-hmm. Overused, they can become almost paganistic. It's just that balance. Yeah. There's a book written by Bill Harley called His Needs, Her Needs. It's probably a lot. I don't know. I haven't read it, but I, t- I, t- I told. I, no, wait a minute. There's a, there's a joke coming, and I told Bill Harley himself. I said I've written a book for celibates called My Needs, My Needs. Okay. Next. All That's right. good. Now we know when someone dies, we always say the absence from the body is presence with the Lord. What happens when someone is on their deathbed who is rejecting Jesus? has not gotten uh, regenerated, has not become saved, what will they say one second after they die? Tom? It's not going to be good. They're going to be very upset when they meet Jesus face-to-face. And Will again, they be uh, in the presence of God right away? They're going to be in the presence of the Lord in some way. How that works out, who they see, how they identify that. But the Bible is interesting. The Bible is not a motion picture. The Bible is a snapshot. I'm a photographer. So you've got, in the Gospels, you've got snapshots of what happens when Jesus returns, snapshots of what happens at the end, but they don't all tie together. We want everything to tie together. So you've got some groups who say when you die, you just go to the grave until the second coming. Others say you're immediately in the presence of the Lord or the, the dead, you know, in Christ, and whatever that may be, will rise first at that day. Well, it's all true. But the point is that when we die, in my experience with about the 60 people I've been with, whether believers or unbelievers, they have told me at the very end, especially the believers, Jesus is here. Hmm. He's standing right there. He's reaching out his hand. He's speaking to me at this moment. I have had some people that were atheists who almost broke my hand, squeezing it so hard when they would not receive Christ, but they went to their death and they fought it all the way. And they said, it's darker. It's darker. It's getting darker. So... What I try to do is I try to be there for the dying and give them that last one opportunity. And I will tell you, Bill, um, being a pastor a lot of years, the question that I guess I've been asked more than any single question is, do you go to heaven right away to you when you die, or do you wait till judgment day to be raised from the dead? And I, I've gotten that, like like if you do a funeral, well, where's Grandma now? And I, I think it's both. There's Jesus um, said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. And when Jesus had the transfiguration, Moses and Elijah from the Old Testament were talking to him. They weren't asleep. So I think the the way you, but there are scriptures about being raised from the dead at the sure. end and that you're sure. sleeping. So I think the way to put it all together, your spirit goes to be with the Lord upon death but you don't get your new resurrection body until Judgment Day. Right. So I think my grandma's in heaven consciously with mm-hmm. the Lord, sure. but she's still waiting for the end to get her new resurrection right. body. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the way to put it all together. But as far as your question about what happens to the unbeliever when they die, what is Luke 16? The poor man goes right to Abraham's bosom in mm-hmm. paradise. 
the the uh, evil rich man goes right to Hades mm-hmm. and is begging to get out. So I mean, here's what's I I when I was a young when I was in college, I tried not even though I went to Bible study and I was a Christian but confused. I tried not to believe in eternal hell. And the people in my Bible study kept saying, but Tom, it's in the Bible. I reread the New Testament. Every time it mentioned hell, I wrote it down. And by the end of my first year in college, my mind was changed to believe in eternal heaven and eternal hell. That's when I became zealous for sharing the gospel with my relatives. And if you believe there's an eternal heaven and an eternal hell, it changes everything. And I think Luke 16 tells you this guy's begging to get out. And Abraham says, sorry, it's over. When you die, you do not get a second chance. It's it's over. This guy wants out. He wants a second chance. And, and Luke 16 says, nope, which is why we need to share the gospel with our family and friends. All right. Here's a story that popped up in the news this week, a little church here in Minnesota. They're trying to reach younger families, and they've asked the older folks to get out. They want to build a struggling church, and they want to build a new congregation with a more youthful bent, they say. So if you're 60 or older, we would uh, prefer you go worship somewhere else. And there's no full-time pastor. A member of the church delivers the sermon, and they've hired a specialist in starting new churches. I saw that that news news item, and it's really hard to read in between the lines. Oh, I know. The pastor said, we haven't told anybody they can't come. And I'm guessing that's true. Right. And then you had a disgruntled older member basically saying, you know, uh, kind of otherwise. So this is a real hard one to read in between the I lines. Um, but uh, so I've, of, co- of course I'm thinking nobody's going to say if you're over 60, you can't come next right. week. But on it's the other hand, this, this smaller congregation, there's two and connected now, the, the smaller congregation has 30 or under, I think, and they're trying to do something to uh, bring that back to life, and so who knows? Yeah, I mean, Justin and I, we could still go, but you guys would be out of here. But up, up. Here you go. I'm good for a while. Uh, yeah, uh, me too. Me yeah. too. To me, the big deal, it's a United Methodist Church. My question is, what, you know, the United Methodist Church is in the news because the liberal American branch wants to ordain homosexuals, etc. And my question would be, who cares if they're old or young? If it's a bad Methodist church, get out of it. If it's a good one, you know, hang in there. But um, I think the dilemma we all face, whether I don't think that's a true story, at least I hope it's not. But you look at churches, they're always trying to find the newest thing that will attract people mm-hmm. and pull people in. And I look at the apostles. What did they use? Jesus, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, miracles, Jesus. And somehow we have almost abandoned that when the reality is people really need to know him. Mm-hmm. Last week we asked about why are so many Gen Zs leaving the church. Um, I could bet, and I would kind of place my wager on this, if this church wants to get all of the seniors out, they're actually going to find that it's going to be very counterproductive and counterintuitive because I think a lot of Gen Zs, the ones that I've talked to, they love the multi-generational mm-hmm. diversity mm-hmm. Sure. of a local congregation. Yeah, There's a guy on TV He's 98 years old, Pastor Harold Salem from South Dakota. He's a 98-year-old Baptist preacher, and he's great, sharp as a tack. The reason I like listening to him is because he's been a Christian longer than I have and has more wisdom. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, Guide Talk is happening. Let us know what questions you'd like us to grapple with or a scripture verse you'd like us to talk about, 877-93-FAITH, 877 
888-2484. Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson. That's the team. We'll be right back. At 8 on Faith Radio. Thank you for being with us today. I've got Guy Talk happening. The ladies will be here in the next hour. But Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, Justin Jepson, we're talking about a little bit of anything and everything. Let us know what you'd like us to discuss. Here's a question, gentlemen, as God often calls us to wait patiently. Are you then able to wait with expectancy? Or is waiting patiently just a, a troublesome period where you're just waiting, you're maybe not waiting with expectancy. Well, I think sometimes, you know, one, waiting in our culture is hard. We don't like to wait. Mm-hmm. We live kind of an insta society in so many ways. But the, the biblical word in Hebrew for wait has this idea of we're not sitting on our thumbs or just kind of sitting around, you know, sitting on our hands or twirling our thumbs, like, you know, waiting for God to do something. It actually has this idea of being woven and knitted together as one, so almost of two strands coming together and woven into a fabric. So in other words, there's, or into, into, a, into a stronger strand or a cord or rope. And so um, I think it's waiting is actual an act of pursuit of God. And, uh, and the way, way that I illustrate, or not illustrate it, but I think the, one of the beautiful Psalms, Psalm 27, one of my favorites, you know, David says, one thing I ask of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in his house all the days of my life to gaze upon his beauty, inquire in his temple. But the last verse of that of that chapter is wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Well, how do I wait for the Lord? Well, I want to dwell with him. I want to gaze upon his beauty and I'm going to seek him in his temple. And that language also is not just individually, but that's that in the context of temple is public worship. And I think we have to also with that question about do we wait or do we wait with expectancy? Well, given all the prosperity preachers on television, we got to say, we can wait with expectancy for what God has promised us. But we can't wait for expectancy for that jet for one of these preachers or, or my new, um, you know, uh, Maserati or something. I mean, I, I, I'm thinking of when I was years ago visiting, somebody asked me to visit this woman that I didn't know who was curled up in her hospital bed, went to some Pentecostal church that taught that it will always be God's will to heal. You wait for expectancy because you're not going to die. And so I went and prayed with her and tried to minister to her. But Pastor Brock, I know I'm going to be healed. Well, a few days later, she was dead. Mm. And I, I, how sad to me, if there's any pro- people who should be able to look death in the face and talk about it and accept it as a reality, it's Christians mm. who know the resurrection. But we've got a, a mindset in some churches that, no, you're not going to die. God's going to heal you. Name it and claim it. So I think we can wait with expectancy for mm-hmm. the things God has promised us, like mm-hmm. eternal life in heaven, forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us. I cannot wait with expectancy that God's going to extend my life 10 years. We're, we're never told that. So we can wait with expectancy for the things that are clear in Scripture. Mm-hmm. The rest, we can wait. <laughs> you may or may not get it, you know. Yeah. I think one of the things we've missed is what the church is really for. You know, we think the church is for Sunday morning worship services, Wednesday night Bible studies, and really, the ecclesia has nothing to do with a building or an event. It has everything to do with the people. The breakdown is most of us that walk with the Lord walk in our expectancy alone. 
we harbor it in our own heart. We're on our own. Who are we going to talk to about it? And one thing I've learned, and I've started doing this, uh, when I meet people, even new people, um, they come to church, whatever, I'll start off and say, well, hey, Bill, what's Jesus doing in your life? Or has he answered any prayers lately? Mm -hmm. And it's amazing what begins to happen after a while. I do that before every Sunday school class when we begin. And I've had people finally step forward and start saying things and say, you know, I, I never felt comfortable talking about this, but I think it's safe here. And they'll share something. I mean, mm -hmm. it's deep. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of stuff we really want to see. I had it when I taught at uh, Bethany School of Missions. I taught preaching out there for a couple of years. I would do that before every class, a couple times a week. You know, what's the Lord done in your life? What answers prayer? After about a month and a half of that, one of the young men, he was 29, raised his hand and said, I, I got a story I want to tell you. And we said, okay. He said, I feel like you're the first people I can actually talk to because I think you take this seriously. He said, my dad ran around with my mom, left us as kids. He's had many girlfriends. He's been a pain in the neck and a lot of heartache in that. He's now got a new girlfriend. They live about uh, five miles away from me. I get a call a month ago on the phone. Can you come over right now? It's dad calling. He said, okay. So I got over there, and the door was partway open. I walked in, and dad and his girlfriend are sitting on the couch shaking like a leaf, and the dishes are broken all over the floor. And I said, did somebody break in? No. Did some, what, what happened? And they looked at him and said, you won't believe this, but Jesus appeared to us and said, come serve me. Quit fighting against me. Now, that event happened almost 15 years ago, and guess what? That dad is still serving Jesus. Hmm. And he went back to everyone in his life, including his ex-wife, admitted everything he did wrong, got on his knees and repented and asked for forgiveness for Jesus' sake for what he had done. That tells me something really happened. But if we don't give people those opportunities to share those things, guess what? Who wants to look foolish? Who wants to look stupid? Mm -hmm. People shut up. Mm -hmm. So expectancy, Who I broke think, the is plates, Tom? Up. I don't get that. Who broke yeah. the plates? They dropped the plates, Tom. Oh, is that what that <laughs> They were doing the dishes, and they dropped the plates. <laughs> While they were waiting for Jesus. I, I, I'm sorry. No, I will I clarify that. that next no, time. I, uh, I know. Well, I think uh, just one other comment that popped in my mind. You know, listeners of Faith Radio know well Susie Larson, and one of the things that I remember hearing her say is, if God's making you wait, he's making you ready. And so um, that idea that I, I've learned, I think that God does um, – what what he's what he does in you while you're waiting is just as important, if not more important, than what mm -hmm. you think you're waiting for. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in other words, I mean, and I think waiting takes faith. And to your point, I think faith has two sides of the same coin. One is expectancy, to be sure, but all the all the other side is dependency. So sometimes we can box God in with our own with our own expectations, but we're and, also that even if something doesn't happen, like yeah. what we think we're waiting for, we we are dependent on God in faith, saying, "Okay, that's not what I expected. That's not what I thought." But I'm trusting in God anyway. All right, gentlemen, can we expect to have the power of Jesus in our life if we have not fully surrendered to him? And when you hear the words fully surrendered, what does that mean? And do you know anyone who has fully surrendered? Jesus is fully surrendered to the yeah. will of God. That's yeah. about it. That's about yeah. it. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean, though, you can live in impenitent, hard-hearted sin. No, of course. But if you've got a battle in your life with your sin, that means you're fully surrendered. If there's no battle with your sin, I mean, it's not that you're... My, my point is, uh, if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, First John 1. So I, we need to surrender, but it's a daily thing. It's an hourly thing. And there is nobody who's fully surrendered perfectly except for Christ. But if you're, if you're battling your sin, that shows that you're, you're in the right direction. Mm -hmm. What was the first part of the question, Bill? 
Well, it, it, if you are expecting the power of Christ in your life, can you have that power if you're not fully surrendering? Like you're, you're, you want to lease the power without, you know, being fully in. I think we've got a great example in Scripture. Okay. You know, Peter's in prison, right? Talks about the book of Acts. He's in prison. Uh, the angel comes and releases him from prison. He gets out. He goes to the, where the believers are meeting. They're having a prayer meeting mm-hmm. that he would be released from prison. And he's knocking on the door. And Rhoda comes to the door, the scripture says. And he said, it's me, Peter. And she said, no, it can't be. She runs back in and tells the believers, Peter's at the door. And they said, you're crazy. He's not at the door. He's in prison. We're praying for him. They saw the power, and the power is demonstrated in their lives and even in their prayers, even when they weren't as fully surrendered as we'd like it. And for me, that's reassuring because I can't always even determine who I am. You know, the heart is wicked and deceitfully wicked. Who can understand it? There are many times I don't understand myself. Mm-hmm. But the faithfulness of Jesus is that he keeps drawing me to himself, and sometimes he answers prayers or moves in great power when I wasn't even expecting it. And I'm thankful for that. There are other times he does move when I pray. And so it's not as dependent on me as it is depending on I'm depending on Jesus to do what's right, whether I agree with it at the moment or do it or not. I want to be surrendered. I think, too, yes, God can use you even if you're not fully surrendered, like he used Cyrus and like he uses pagans. I mean, when I was thinking of being a pastor, I said I said to my pastor in Omaha, you know, Pastor Schatz, I thinking maybe the Lord's calling me to be a minister, but, you know, I, I don't know that I can do this. And, he's, and, and, you know, and, and he said to me, if God can speak through Balaam's donkey, he can speak through you. <laughs> and so, I mean, we all have our foibles. On the other hand, if you're not surrendered to him, you can do a lot of damage sure, uh, because you don't have proper beliefs or you're, you're living in sin while you're telling other people to repent. That's not going to work. So the more you surrender, I think the more he does use you. But he can use pagans to get his will accomplished. I think the people that are concerned about surrendering are the ones that are doing what's right. Mm-hmm. When you're concerned that you want to surrender, I want to give my life over to mm-hmm. you, it's when I reach a point where I say, I've figured it all out. Mm-hmm. I don't need to do that anymore. That's where the trouble comes it's a, in. It's a daily battle mm-hmm. to submit my flesh to the will of the Lord. It's a daily battle. And if that battle's going on, hallelujah, you're a believer. If there's not a battle going on, you've got to ask yourself where you're at spiritually. Mm-hmm. Here's a question from a listener. If God cares about the smallest things of our lives, how do we think about his not answering prayers such as, please help my toddler to sleep well tonight, or please help my car to start in the morning, especially when it feels like you pray 20 times a day and he answers one or two? I think that person, no offense, has way too high expectations. We ain't in heaven yet and we're not supposed to be. So if you pray, you know, God, please let my toddler sleep through the night, I'd keep praying it. Yeah. And I don't think we're given any promise that your toddler's going to sleep through the night. Mm-hmm. We're in a fallen, evil universe, and you're going to experience that. It, you know, And I like the other statement that I've heard in the past. God answers all our prayers. Sometimes he says no. Mm-hmm. Or wait. Or wait. <laughs> Till he grows up and sleeps through <laughs> and the this night. Is, this could be this could be a mom praying for a yeah. little bit of mercy and grace, mm-hmm. and she's exhausted. Sure. And if the yeah. toddler sleeps, she'll sleep. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a sweet, tender prayer. And yeah. and, and keep it, it up. I think it, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if God would have answered that? But He chose not to. Maybe yeah. so. Yeah. Some and nights. And I think God cares about every. I don't you think you got a toddler. Oh, you can yeah. speak to this. Well, Justin. And, and we're we're working on potty training this last week. So I've had a lot of prayers of just 
let what needs to come out go in the right place. Right. And that, wow. Uh, let's just say we're batting, deep. we're batting about fifth, about five hundred, so it's pretty good. So it's pretty good. Yeah, where's capture when you need them? Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think day to day living is where we get into trouble. Mm-hmm. We want the Lord to solve all of our problems right now, mm-hmm. and we want those prayers answered right on the spot. Look, for a child who mom is concerned about the child asleep or whatever else, you know, there are a lot of young families in the church. There are a lot of older families that have had kids. Who's volunteering to come over and help watch that child so mom can get some rest? I think we have a tendency, what we ought to be doing as the body of Christ, we don't do, and expect the Lord to somehow manage it. And uh, I bought a pair of, uh, you know, the things you put on batteries to jump them because people at church kept having dead batteries. You know, and it was like I couldn't expect them to pray. Their battery would start. That wasn't. I go out and jump the battery. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a there's a combination of that. But Jesus said, if you pray according to my will, or if you pray according to to what I'm doing, and sometimes uh, that's a little different than in just the day to day activities. Mm-hmm. And you know, I this might sound kind of depressing, but it's helped me. If I lower my expectations in life, I'm happier. I mean, if I get to the stop sign. And I don't have this expectation that thing has to turn green in about 10 seconds. But I have this expectation, look, who knows how long it's going to be. I mean, when I lower my expectations in life, it helps me not get so antsy and upset about things. And, yeah, so. Mm-hmm. Let me take a little break. When we come back, uh, lots more Guy Talk. Pastor Tom Brock, Pastor Tom Parrish, and Justin Jepson are my guests. And we will be open to taking any questions or issues you'd like us to discuss. Text them to 877 Two four eight four eight seven seven ninety three faith eight seven seven nine three three twenty four eighty four. Be right back. Problems of today lead them to conclude for them life is not the way. But every problem has an answer. Welcome back to the show. Guy Talk is happening. We've got a great panel here today, Tom and Tom and Justin and me. So um, we're going to keep, unless you've got questions, I've got some more for the guys here. All right. To stand strong for one's faith in Jesus Christ and, and push back against a culture that's full of corruption. You think of Isaiah 520 that calls evil good and good evil. And so we're living in an upside down world. So Tom, I think earlier you talked about us being militant, and that's a word that we all went, well, what does that mean? So explain that. Basically what it means is that we know the truth in Jesus Christ. We now need to take the next step of saying, I'm ready to risk everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that includes risking my income. That includes risking my job. That includes risking my family. I don't want to do that. But I think the the overseas trips I've taken and lived among people in jungles, Christians that were in hard environments where they were persecuted, and to watch how they put Jesus first, and even their families became second. They loved their families, don't get me wrong, but they were willing to die for the truth of the gospel, and they would not compromise that, is something that I don't think we have much of in America. And I'm not putting down America, but we're so comfortable, you know, why would we want to risk anything? And yet you think about it, we have, uh, you, we have given away things in this culture. Uh, we were talking earlier, we've given away the rainbow from Noah, and it's become another symbol in our culture. Mm -hmm. Christians said almost nothing about that. I mean, the silence is what's killing us, and we want to be so liked and so understood, we're afraid to speak up. 
Militancy, though, means that we go into the battle knowing exactly what's coming. It's not going to be easy, but we're not going to compromise Jesus either. Well said. I can't top that. Next. (laughs) (laughs) That's the first time, Tom, in all the years we've worked together. You're right. (laughs) Um, Okay, here's a question, but i got to figure it out first, so let me uh, ask something else here. Um, I've got questions coming well, in. Well, uh, you know, while you're looking, yeah, go ahead. I like Franklin Graham. He oh, ha- yeah. he's one of the few people that has the guts to get on national TV and say Jesus is the only way to heaven, and if you reject him, you're going to hell. He's one of the very few people who will say Islam is from the devil. You don't hear that from uh, a lot of churches where they there. You know, there are some Lutheran churches that are letting Muslims worship in their church, huh? You know, so I, I think we need to be bold, be militant, but to do it in love and humility. You know, the Bible says, sure. speak the truth in love, not with a sledgehammer. Speak the truth in love, but we got to speak the truth and, not, you know, not compromise. So there you go. And I think along with that, sometimes when people hear militant, you know, they can think of a, a type of more fundamentalist Christianity that is more known for what they're against mm-hmm. than what they're for. Mm-hmm. And so I think we always, we need to contend for the faith yeah. to be sure. But we also recognize that the battle is ultimately a spiritual one, and people are not our enemy. Yeah. And so that changes yeah. how we do battle. Yeah. Uh, this listener has made a comment, and I feel very tender towards this uh, listener, who says, My husband lives by his flesh and believes in the Bible, yet will not protect his wife or home. Ouch. A lot of conflict going on there. I'm not sure what belief in the Bible means then. Right. If belief in the Bible doesn't mean action that you take the word seriously, you protect your family, you protect your children, you teach them the truth, you keep them out of harm's way when possible, you tell them about the Lord, then I'm wondering what is this guy doing who says he's a Christian or says he believes the Bible? I think he likes some things in the Bible, but until he applies it to his marriage and his life, he's kidding himself. And do you know the verse, anybody know this? There's only one place where it says in the Bible... You can be worse than an unbeliever. Do you know what it is? Yeah. First he who does not provide for his own family. So if he's not providing protection, you know, he's he's missing it. And this goes back to the discipline question, you know, and that idea of if if she, as a, as a follower of Christ, as a wife, is confronting her husband lovingly and he's dismissing that, well, where do you go next? Well, and I think you follow Matthew 18, you need to have somebody else, then you go, that's where the church also needs to step in. Mm-hmm. And there has to be other spiritual authority involved mm-hmm. in the life of the family in order for us to stay on that path. Yeah. Many years ago, there was a Bible study in Columbus, Ohio, and I was part of that Bible study. And then uh, we left that group. But afterward, we found out something rather interesting. One of the couples who had been coming to the Bible study decided to get a divorce. And, you know, everybody was shocked when they heard that. And the couple wasn't coming to the Bible study. So what the Bible study did is that the men invited the husband over to somebody's house to watch a football game. The women invited the, the wife. And basically, they locked the doors for the weekend. Not in the sense that they restrained <laughs> people, but they basically locked the doors. And they spent the next 48 hours talking and praying and saying, what are you doing? How are you honoring the Lord? That couple reconciled. That couple forgave one another. That couple is still together. Mm-hmm. The point is... We get trapped in these things, and then we try to deal with them in isolation. We're alone. And again, when I say the church, where is that body of people that say, we're not going away? We're not going to run away from you. We're going to be here. No matter how bad it hurts, we're going to be here to help you through this. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Augustine talked about disordered loves. Not mm-hmm. that we love bad things, but we like good things too much. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on how we're dealing with materialism of today? Or relationships that are disordered loves? Mm-hmm. You know, the one thing I pray periodically is, Lord, help me major in the majors and not in the minors, which is kind of what you're talking about. Is my life caught up with the major thing in life? I have a plaque on my wall that says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And am I living for the things that are going to last, or am I just caught up in stupid little stuff that's not sinful, but it's just little and it's stupid when I should be uh, concentrating on the big stuff? Mm. A couple of years ago, I got very sick for a couple of months, and I had some real issues, and finally the doctors got it straightened out. I couldn't sleep. I I would walk all night. It was horrible. I'd do a lot of praying. You know what was good about that? As I look back, and there there was good that came out of that, as miserable as it was, is that nothing was important to me except Jesus, my wife, and my kids. Wow. I mean, I didn't care about my car. I didn't care about the house. I mean, I'll take care of those things. But when you get so down like that, it's amazing how you can begin to evaluate what's important to you. And I think sometimes sickness uh, is for that very purpose, not to destroy us, but to give us enough time to think what really is vital in our life. Mm -hmm. Because that's when you think about it. So would you say, and I'm just tying in themes from we talked about discipline and the Lord loves, you know, he disciplines those whom he loves. Do you think God can use something like sickness then as as an avenue or means of discipline and the way that it reset your perspective and reordered your loves? I know he did in my case, and he's a master at doing that. He's had a lot Mm -hmm. of experience. So it's not an issue. He knows how to step in and to move it in a certain direction to where you start asking the right questions. There was a survey done several years ago on dying people. And the survey basically discovered there were three questions that almost everybody asked on their deathbed, whether they're believers or not. And the questions basically came down to, um, you know, why didn't I do more things with my family? Why didn't I do more things that will live on after me after I'm gone? And what happens when I die? Isn't that interesting? Every culture in that, those are the three questions we come down to. Why don't we live by those three questions? Great. Yeah, and, and I think, uh, you know, that disordered love sometimes, uh, what com- what's coming to my mind is, you know, is, is Jesus' rebuke of, of the Ephesian church in, in Revelation 2, and they lost their first love. Mm-hmm. But they were doing some really good things. Mm-hmm. They knew the right doctrine, oh, yeah. and they were calling out false teachers. And so when I think disordered loves, I also think disordered m- motives, and why am I doing what I'm doing? And if I'm doing the right thing for the wrong reason, yeah, and I'm not motivated by love, what does Paul, you know, Paul said, I'm just, I don't want to be a noisy gong or a clanging symbol. And somebody said, you will never see these words on a gravestone. I wish I would have spent more time at the office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meaning, put the first things first. And mm-hmm. yeah. All right, here's a question from a listener. How do you talk about salvation and heaven to family and friends who know about Christ in the Bible but don't have any interest? You need to find their interest, mm-hmm. and, and I'm serious about that. What I mean by that is that I don't, I'm not going to start out and say, you know, when you die and you stand before Jesus, what are you going to say? Because they don't want to talk about that. But you can start asking questions like, well, Bill, you know, when you're alone and you have, you're all by yourself, what do you think about? What's, what's on your heart? You know, what, what do you see as a value in this world today? How do you feel about the chaos that's going on around us? And I've found that when you give people an opportunity to talk, they will start sharing with you their deeper needs. And if you play off of what they're asking or saying, you can get to the spiritual realities. 
but you can't go in the front door. You're still coming in the back door, mm. but it and works. I, and I think of what Luther, mm. Luther taught, that we're supposed to preach the law and the gospel, God's law and God's gospel. You preach the law to afflict the comfortable. You preach the gospel to comfort the afflicted. And if these people are comfortable, yeah, I, I know about all that, but they don't really care, I think I would talk about hell. You know, my concern for you is you don't seem to have any interest in God or Christ, and where are you going to spend eternity? And they might not repent, but at least you put it in their mind. How often do we hear about hell in this culture or in Mm -hmm. the church? Mm -hmm. You know, I I think I asked somebody once, when's the last time your pastor preached on hell? And the response was, he's never preached on hell. Mm -hmm. So I think we, humbly, lovingly, we got to bring up hell. Mm -hmm. Somebody, Somebody said if you count the verses, Jesus talks more about hell than heaven. So what do you do with that, you know? It's like we have to understand the language. I mean, how many young people today, Generation Z or whatever, Gen Xers, really understand the word sin? Mm -hmm. Most of them don't. But they sure understand shame and guilt. And so I will ask them, tell me about the shame and guilt in your life. What are you carrying that you can't get rid of? And they will talk about that. And then after a while, you can bring them around to understand. That's what the Bible talks about with sin. Mm -hmm. You're alienated from the Lord, and therefore you've got these burdens in your life. Yeah. Gentlemen, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Bill. Four and a half Thanks percent of all listeners want you back next week. Four and a half. That's <laughs> yeah. up from three and a half last week. I know. We'll come back. Joey's for you. We're on a roll. <laughs> yeah, so it was three and a half last week. So this is encouraging to me. Uh-huh. So we went uh-huh. up after uh-huh. Capster. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, a little bump uh-huh. from Capster. So we'll see you gentlemen next week. Same time. Sounds good. Awesome. Guy Talk is uh, uh, now concluding. So <laughs> I'm st- I still got questions coming in. That's the fun part. I love it. I, I know. So I wish we save could them. continue. So we'll save them for next week. Thank you for uh, sending these great questions. We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, we'll have the beautiful and amazing Queens of the Roundtable, and we'll try to air this place out for them. We'll be back in uh, three minutes. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.